Okay, so uh, we're back with our 10th episode of the Utility Strategy Podcast, the first infrastructure podcast to shine a light on what we love to call utility strategy. As we all know, buried utilities pose an enormous risk to any infrastructure project and create extreme uncertainty amongst the different stakeholders. Uh, the thing is that with the right utility strategy, we're able to mitigate that risk and streamline our project, which is what our podcast is basically all about, uh, sharing and gaining all kinds of insights that will enable just that, uh, helping project managers, utility coordinators, estimators, mappers, planners, designers, engineers, and any other stakeholders overcome the challenge of uh, buried utilities in our right of way. Uh, and to help us do just that, we have here with us today, uh, Steve Reinks, am I pronouncing that correctly? Was it Reinks? Yes, sir, the, the, the E is silent. Okay, okay. Uh, so Steve Reinks, uh, who has four decades of PE experience, including the preparation of uh, preliminary engineering studies, final construction documents, and uh, construction supervision for uh, transportation, highways, and uh, railway projects. Uh, a lot for the Illinois uh, Department of Transportation and uh, for Illinois State uh, Toll Highway Authority. Um, so, uh, Steve, without uh, uh, further ado, uh, give us uh, an intro about yourself. Uh, who who is Steve? What has he been up to in the past thank, four decades? Thank, thank you, uh, David. My uh, LinkedIn profile pretty much uh, uh, mirrors what it, uh, you just said, David. I came into Chicago back in 1988 on the on the construction management of the Orange Line going out the Midway Airport. So I've been in Chicago uh, 30 plus years. Uh, uh, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and and the, and there is the beautiful out there at times too. Um, my involvement with uh, ASCE, I'm a member at large on uh, the Transportation Development Institute, and uh, I'm also uh, involved with the Chicago Engineers Foundation as, as a member. I also sit on the, the Julie board for the for the state of Illinois, which is a, a one call system. And uh, I'm also uh, in the process of starting up uh, uh, utility engineering and surveying uh, institute. So uh, that's pretty much uh, my involvement here uh, locally. Uh, so hang on, Steve. You're you're actually starting a chapter of UESI in Chicago. Yes, sir. Uh, we're uh, groundbreaking. Our, our current uh, uh, Illinois section uh, president. Uh, he wants to. Uh, it's one of his uh, initiatives is is to get that going this year. That is fantastic. Now that's that's a great thing. And I also believe I saw you at a Sioux Association. Uh, uh, session a couple months ago. Yes. Are you also actively involved in the uh, Sioux Association? Uh, uh, only uh, on the periphery. I, I can't get our owner to uh, pull the trigger on us uh, becoming a, a member. So uh, um, I, I do uh, attend those events uh, virtually. And I did go to one in D.C. Uh, years ago. Interesting. Uh, so I see you're really active in the community, which is uh, it, it's it's really, really it's such a good feeling to see when people are giving back and really wanting to affect what's going on by interaction with these community and these engineering organizations. You know, it's really a matter of mentorship. And can you give me a little bit of a, an overview of what your involvement has been with the ASCE, UESI, which you are now uh, pushing forward, but 
what, what do you think you gain out of those organizations by actually attending and going and getting them, uh, getting them, uh, you know, started up in the Chicago area? I, I'd like to think that uh, uh, we're in the business of trying to get the message out. And uh, that is uh, uh, a, a Sioux investigation should be done uh, during the planning and, and the design stages. Uh, for my involvement on Julie, I see Julie as a one call center and that's more geared towards the excavators. That means uh, they're actually out in the field. And uh, I'm trying to promote the idea that uh, it's, a, it's a little bit late, so to speak, uh, trying to do a, a Sioux investigation when the contractor is out in the field and he's got uh, men, equipment, materials uh, waiting to do something. And all of a sudden, guess what? There's, there's an obstruction, yeah, so there's a utility. So one of the things you're saying, you're really reiterating is as much information up front during that the initial concept phase, during that initial planning phase, even during feed or even during master planning, as much information up front as can be held in an economical in a, in a value in a value manner and I, I know that you have lots of information to provide about the value of Sue and how it actually integrates in but we'll get to that in a few minutes sure. really you're saying as much information as possible up front yes yes in, yes sir and uh, we've excellent. been a uh, prime suit consultant for uh, Illinois DOT uh, district one uh, out of Schaumburg so uh, we do see the the value of, uh, of that and so does, so does IDOT. Uh, I might make mention that uh, that's usually during done phase two, which is uh, in the engineering, but uh, IDOT is now moving it towards uh, phase one, which is uh, uh, preliminary engineering, trying to get that information gathered that you talk about. No, it's really interesting. So just to clarify, IDOT is not Iowa Department of Transportation, it's, it's Illinois it's, Department of Transportation. Correct. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> I should have declared clarified that thanks we've also we've uh, also yeah, been we're, a, we're we've America, also been yeah. a uh, prime suit consultant for the illinois uh, tollway so uh, once again interesting get that information to their uh, design consultants so really taking information and, and gathering and putting it all together it also sounds like a very project management oriented uh, uh, oriented task and really understanding how to build information how to build the answers how to build the ordering of, uh, of information and really how to stack it up in a usable fashion. Can you can you elaborate a little bit of how you'd actually integrate your project management style and in in using all these different standards and everything right through and through within your day-to-day -day process or within your within your thoughts of making things better? Well, before we get in, into the project management, let's let's back up uh, a minute here, guys, and let, let's let's have Excellent. a conversation on a project. <laughs> let's just talk about uh, yeah, right? Perfect. Right before we. Get the cart in front of the horse here. Let's let's talk about what a project. Okay, uh, Project Management Institute uh, PMI uh, it defines a project as follows: A project is a temporary endeavor undertaken to create a unique product, service, or result. The temporary nature of projects indicate that a project has a definite beginning and end. Now. Most of us uh, being employed in the architectural engineering uh, construction industry, we, we pretty much provide a service. And that's what we're talking about here, you know, uh, a service. That, that's what Sue is, is, is a service. The other two, uh, product and result, really don't apply since we're not manufacturing widgets. No, we're not doing results unless you're a testing uh, company and 
even then I might argue that they're actually they're providing a service. Now, let's talk about what a temporary endeavor is. Uh, from you know what, Steve, just here. one second, sorry. Really, really important. We say we're not we're not building widgets. We're not manufacturing. And a lot of times I see when tendering goes out, they just ask for, you know, how many apples can I, or, or how many nuts and bolts can I get for the amount of money I'm going to be spending? And, it, and it's really a, a tangible item that, like you said, Sue is a service and not, uh, not a, uh, not a tent, not a uh, nuts and bolts type of item. Yes. Yes, sir. That's right. That's right. Now a temporary endeavor. Well, PMI defines that as uh, the temporary nature of projects indicate that a project has a definite beginning and end. Temporary does not mean a project has a short duration. The end of a project is reached when one or more of the following is true. The project's objectives have been achieved. The objectives will not or cannot be met. Funding is exhausted or no longer available for allocation to the project. The need for the project no longer exists, meaning the customer no longer wants the project completed. A change in strategy or priority ends the project. The organizational management provides direction to end the project. The human or physical resources are no longer available or the project is terminated for legal cause or convenience. Projects are temporary, but the deliverables may exist beyond the end of the project. Projects may produce deliverables of a social, economic, material, or environmental nature. For example, a project to build a national monument will create a deliverable expected to last for centuries. Now, I've shared this with you guys before. Uh, uh, my words, uh, a project at a as basic level is getting, th getting things done through people. Yep. That's uh, that's well, that should be the way it always should be getting things done through people. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, I might yeah. mention that uh, uh, being a PM, uh, your skills will be uh, put to the test uh, multiple times through your decade long career in this business. Uh, years ago, I attended, I attended Dr. Harold Kirshner's uh, lecture. I heard him say, being a PM is not for the faint of heart. We, we can save that topic for a future discussion. Uh, if you want more information on uh, uh, Dr. Harold Kersner, uh, you can uh, Google him for that. It's funny, I've always heard uh, being a PM is like herding cats. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> I, I also, uh, I, I'll share this uh, with you another time, but uh, I have in my background photo, an orchestra leader and uh, He's, a, he's an engineer, but I like to think of, the, of him as being an orchestra leader. And each and every man, each and every uh, member of that band uh, plays a different instrument and belongs to a different union. And there, there you are trying, trying to organize this endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. So let's tie this into what you're doing with uh, your, your projects. Uh, how have you actually used this or uh, what? What, what lessons have you learned over your 40 years? Well, I've... Uh... Maybe, maybe break down the, the 40 years as well, Stephen. Tell us what, uh, what yeah. you've been up to. We skipped we skip that part. We go right into uh, sure. To, sure. To what we want to talk about today. Sure. Uh, I've been uh, 
I, my career has been fortunate. I've uh, worked, lived, uh, visited uh, 20 plus countries on six continents, and uh, I've been around the world uh, one time. Uh, my back, back wow. my background is primarily uh, transportation projects, uh, like uh, David, you alluded to. Uh, it's on the planning, uh, design, and, and construction side. Although now I've uh, primarily in the office, in the, and if I get called out in the field, uh, it's uh, it's usually not for a social visit. Uh, there's 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 something going on there that uh, need, needs something happened or happened. Yes, yes, uh, yeah. so something has happened. Uh, and uh, once again, uh, this goes back to prob- primarily uh, utility-related problems. Uh, for us civil engineers, there's uh, two things that need to happen. The first thing is the, the right-of-way has to be acquired. Now, whether that's through a, a take, meaning the actual property is acquired, or it's through an easement, uh, either a, a temporary easement for construction or uh, a permanent easement for uh, maintenance purposes. Uh, next, uh, just as important, what we're talking about here, the utilities have got to be cleared. When I say cleared, <laughs> they're out of the way for the contractor to be able to get his work done. And uh, I might give a plug for the Illinois Tollway here. Uh, they do an excellent, excellent job. Uh, uh, in the beginning and the beginning of a plan set, they have identified each and every utility conflict that is known out there. It has its own unique identifier, okay? And it tells everything about that. They actually have uh, in their uh, plans, they've identified what's going on, what needs to happen, and also in their special provisions. They also uh, identify what needs to happen to each and every utility. It's very clear. Uh, the contractor understands completely uh, what's going on out there. And uh, if something happens, it's because of an unknown unknown, meaning there's a utility out there that has been abandoned. Nobody knew about it, but uh, primarily- Undocumented, uh, unregistered. Exactly. It's it's an unknown unknown, you guys, and uh, you guys got experience you know what, with, with uh, this, so uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I recall the uh, Donald Rumsfeld saying there are going to be unknown unknowns of the unknowns <laughs> when we were going into Iraq. Yes, yes. And when he was talking about the WMDs, he was talking about, oh, there are going to be unknown unknowns unknowns. So. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was talking about utilities. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, probably. Good at bed. Good at bed. Yeah, and he, I believe he was quoting Mark Twain when he was saying that. Uh, anyway, so I, I regress. My apologies, but he, from what I heard right now, that you're saying that the uh, Illinois Tollway actually has a fantastic utility coordination system or a, a set of best practices that have really uh, set the bar high for identifying conflicts and really giving as much information as possible to the designers and the engineers. Do you know of anywhere where this has been actually taken and copied or used as a best practice or a reference? Uh, I, I want to say uh, we probably should uh, try to understand what goes on in Colorado. I, I think from what I understand, there's legislation there, you guys, that actually yeah. requires yeah. that a, uh, a sue investigation uh, be performed yeah. as part of their uh, infrastructure very, project. Very since recently, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, two years, yes. I, I want to say yeah. that that's probably uh, that's the goal. Probably the gold standard. I would say you guys is uh, is uh, 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 Colorado DOT. 
Montana has also adopted it as well, by the way. So Montana is also in the right direction. And they're also going to be adopting the MUDI and ASC 75 standards. So there are a few states which have uh, taken that, uh, uh, that next step to elevate what the, the information they're, uh, they're attaining, acquiring, and also sharing. So really interesting that you say that, yeah, Steve. Yeah, Maryland uh, DOT may, may be another one that, that's out there uh, also uh, doing that. Interesting. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. But uh, that, that IDOT model of the utility coordination, is it uh, a best practice anywhere else or is it just within, uh, or sorry, the, uh, the, well, the uh, Illinois tollway? It, uh, I got to give a plug for uh, um, Illinois DOT. They've, uh, we're a, currently a prime suit consultant, like I had mentioned, and that uh, what we're finding out there is that they're actually, uh, if you're a utility within, IDOT's right away. You are there by permit. You are permitted. So uh, what we're doing now is that once the utility has done their permit work, uh, IDOT is actually sending us back out into the field to check and verify that utility was put in uh, according uh, to what was uh, submitted yeah. to the permit. So that, that's something new here. I, I'd like to see that uh, also uh, continue. That is really interesting. So they're they're actually following up and uh, putting their money where their mouth is, not just issuing the permit and hoping for the best, but they're actually there, providing there, follow-up. There you go, you guys. So I, I'd like to sort of promote that idea there because uh, when we stamp and seal those two plans, they are good for that point in time, right? And guess what happens? Uh, now it's six months, one year, year and a half, two years later, the contractor actually goes out in the field. And guess what? That Sioux information is outdated, needs to be updated. Yeah, the, that lag between the day that it was completed, the day you signed and sealed it, you're stating to that day it was relevant. But anything past that day, yes, things could yes, happen. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I, I also uh, might make mention, this is going to be uh, uh, one of my uh, review comments on the ASCE, uh, the current population, publication uh, number 38 is that yeah. what I'm finding in the, in the Sioux business is that it's somewhat of a one-way street, meaning we get the Sioux information, we give it to the consultant, we stamped and sealed it, and uh, that's it. Well, I would like to promote the idea that uh, once the construction plans have been prepared, that the Sioux consultant is given the opportunity to review those construction plans to ensure that the Sioux information we provided is being used correctly. And uh, I've got personal experience on, on another project uh, for another uh, place and time that we were not given that opportunity. And I'll just summarize it in a nutshell, is that on the front plan sheet, the cover sheet of the plans, they had indicated that our company had located all the utilities, all the utilities. <laughs> that word all, yeah, all. All, all, yeah. all the Put utilities. Bold, yeah, all the utilities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, I define no. or defy anyone to uh, tell me, uh, what, what is that word? Okay. In this particular instance, we had shown on the plans that a proposed water main was going to be installed by others. Well, guess what happened? That proposed water main was not put in the location that was shown on the plans. 
And lo and behold, a $60,000 change order comes across Mr. Rinks's desk here. Yeah. Because the consultant yeah. said that we had located all the utilities. Well, needless to say, so uh, we were able to defend yeah. ourselves yeah. against that claim. Yeah. You know, that, that's interesting semantics versus uh, actual and reality. And uh, looking at the, the, the catchphrases, and you've actually mentioned this to me as well. I, I actually changed something in one of my uh, my slide decks because when I when I was showing a slide deck and you said the, the wording you have there uh, is really important. You know, the, what you convey and what you say may be two different things than what the lawyers understand. Right, right, right. So, so what do you guys? So, what do you guys think of that idea of being given an opportunity to review your information that's now being used in construction plans? That is a fantastic thing. Keeping, keeping it as a living project, keeping having your actual ability to interact during the project to see if anything has been changed right through and through. It's it's actually one of the areas where we're researching in our think tank right now. They're looking about that living, uh, the living map and really going forward with uh, the living project. Because, of course, day one when construction starts, there are going to be relocations. There's, a, there's even early works sometimes on those major projects. And the early works have been done in coordination conjunction before the Sioux investigation, especially on those major, those, uh, those major integrated projects where there's a lot of different moving pieces. And in order to provide the... Uh, the proponent, the best path to complete his project, a lot of early works have been done. And that might not even be included in your Sioux investigation because your Sioux investigation would facilitate a lot of these early works. So really having that opportunity to look and really verify and having a, your ability to augment the, uh, the information, it should be a part and parcel as a part of the Sioux investigation, a 30% design review, a 60% design review, even a construction, uh, you know, we'll call it a timeout, just to take a look at what's going on, what has moved, what has changed. So that's very interesting. And that's a great concept. Yeah, what, what we're seeing, we, go, go ahead, David. I think that if uh, we put a word to it, uh, if we need to put a title to, to the issue, it's a uh, lack of communication. And there's a lack of communication because, uh, the data that we're working with is somewhat unreliable. Like, I think, I think that we haven't had a guest yet on the podcast that, uh, that hasn't said that as bills are, you just can't trust them. You just can't trust them. And when there's no data, uh, that you can trust. So obviously the communication between the stakeholders is hindered because there's no, trust in the communication because each one is is giving their own uh uh their own vision their own version of the truth yeah exactly their own version of the truth is exactly how i would put it Ophel. thank you yeah i i would probably go back to uh, uh the quote that was attributed to ronald reagan uh, although it i'd have to google it to, to see where it originally came from but uh ronald reagan he was uh quick to say uh trust uh, but i have to verify that, that's that's what we're talking about here. We need we need, we need yeah. to verify just exactly what's going on there. Case in point, what we're finding is these uh, multiple duct packages. For instance, uh, there's multiple uh, fiber optic companies that are in there. So if if something needs to be yeah. relocated on the duct package, well, guess what? Uh, everybody is not out of that duct package, so to speak. 
meaning yeah. there's still work going on. There still needs to be a, a cut over, so to speak, uh, to where it's being relocated. So the contractor gets out there. Everybody says, yeah, it's, it's dead. Well, guess what? He takes it out. And lo and behold, <laughs> there's still an active user yeah. in that duck package. It's it's funny. Uh, it reminds me of my military days. And uh, David, when I say this, you're going to know. Dovidita Sita. You didn't verify it. You didn't do it. Yeah. So there you go. I, just, I, I, I like yeah, that. Just yeah. Is, it, is that a Canadian? Yeah. No, is that a Canadian saying? No, it's uh, from oh, Israel. Israel. Oh, Israel. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Bit, yeah it's first Israel. time I think we've heard Hebrew so, on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Steve, so Steve, it's a funny thing the... you say that. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry. Go, David, go one ahead, second. Go ahead. We, it's we a funny thing. The... It's, it's really funny to say that. So back in, I believe, in uh, 2007, I was working on a project in uh, in downtown Toronto. And there someone had the, uh, the great idea to run fiber optic cables in sewers, in combined sewers, where they went, they took a robot, and they stapled it to the top right through and through all the way through lo and behold a year later that company goes bankrupt i'm not going to mention which company it was but the company that ran the fiber went bankrupt and some other company took over it but there was no notification of it with this new development going in they had to resize they had to upsize the sewers because they were putting in a new uh, a vertical development and all of a sudden they find these fiber optic cables in these sewers on the tags it had the original name of the owner but it did not have the new name of the new owner and they said, okay, you know, they, you know, they looked up the company. There was no record of it. There was nothing. You know, they called one call, no, no record. They called. They looked up the company. It said uh, bankrupt, blah blah blah. And they, uh, the articles of bankruptcy and so on and so forth. There was no transfer of ownership. So they said, okay, we're just going to chop this and we're going to relocate our sewer. Uh, they go, they chop this fiber line, which actually went to the school board. So they cut off communication for the school board because the school board bought it on the. Uh, on a, uh, a very reduced price, and all of a sudden, you have a, a large issue in terms of joint use. Uh, they thought it was very economical of joint use of putting these fiber optic cables in the sewer, you know, on the on the roof, and also lack of communication of who owns it, what, why, where, lack of registration from the school board to say that we own this cable. So really in line with what you were saying, Stephen, yes, you may have a multiple duck package with 10 or 11 different providers and you've coordinated with four or five or six of them. But if you don't coordinate with all of them, you know, the, the work is, uh, it's just going to really, it's going to really impact what you're doing. So really interesting. Now, Stephen, how would we actually be able to keep track of that? If, if we're not going to go to a Colorado system where everybody has to identify what they have. Well, it sounds like a major challenge. Yes. Yes. It, that's a, that's a tough, tough question there. You guys, um, I want to say it probably goes back to due diligence here, so to speak. Um, at the same time, I, I, I cannot believe that someone didn't do some, uh, visual inspection, so to speak, on these structures, meaning it's very, uh, if I would come across that situation, I open up a manhole cover and I see photos, whatever, and I see a cable running through there, I'm thinking, boy, that sure is strange. I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen a cable in a sewer before. That, that would be a red flag. <laughs> yeah. That would be a red flag. But for a, a junior engineer, someone starting out, 
They wouldn't know any better, yeah. nor any different. Yeah. They look at the plans. They don't normal. see it. Yeah. yeah. And they say, well, yeah. looks good to me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, that's a, so, so how do we actually educate these younger engineers? How do we, how do we get the word out to them? How do you actually foster and develop them? Well, into understanding? well, uh, I, uh, involved with ASC on their mentorship program. So I, I, I try to pass along some of this, but, uh, uh, it has to be somewhat, uh, I won't say boots on the ground, but uh, there has to be uh, what we're talking about here, communication between the field staff and the office staff. Uh, that's how we get this uh, transfer of technology. Uh, we like to think about our, our smart devices here, uh, but at the same time, a lot of what we're doing, you guys, is, is somewhat old school. Uh, we're pretty much visual here. Uh, we, we look at visual, we try to understand what's going on, uh, Further investigation is needed. So, uh, well, what do you mean when uh, you say visual? Uh, being able to look at something, uh, and uh, I think you guys are in the business there of uh, of your technology of uh, visually uh, doing a comparison of things before and after and, and during to to see uh, what exactly is is going on. That's that's a very a very high level, but yes, that is in the right direction, but it's a combination of different verifications sliced together. And that's where the, uh, the real, uh, the real aspects of what we do. But truthfully, I, I really like what you're saying in terms of the, the hands-on passing of the information, making sure that someone understands the mentorship, which is really amazing. And I think that should be carried forward this day and age. Uh, it's really funny how we see the generational divides. You have the, the people like myself and you from a, a little bit further back. I, I'm not, I've been in the industry for you know 20, 25 years and plus in my military before that. But uh, uh, for me, it's always pick up the phone and talk to the person or walk down the hall and you know talk to the person. The next generation after that was uh, uh, you know send uh, an MSN or whatever uh, an instant message on the you know the, the instant messaging on the on the computers you know the uh, send the uh, uh, send the ICQ message. And uh, I like to I like um, to think that uh, the younger generation uh, would like to say, uh, "Isn't there an app for that?" No, there's, yeah, there's uh, not an uh, app no. for that. And, and by the way, it's not two keystrokes neither. It's that's right. So uh, that's another thing. How how did these uh, acronyms get into business English? That's what I want to understand. Like I'm seeing professional emails, and then uh, on the bottom says, LMK, let me know. I'm going, what, what is that? <laughs> how, how did that get into my business email? But what I really want to really understand and really want to ask you is, with all this in additional investigation, do you see it being cost efficient? Because I know that there's always going to be that cost aspect that, unfortunately, clients are so tied into, and you know, you know, they, they see the cost, and they're going, oh, my God. You know, what is that balancing point in trying to get them to actually understand that even though there's a much higher cost threshold, it is still going to be worth it? Yeah, let, let me, uh, we'll, we'll jump ahead here a little bit and, and we'll talk about cost. Uh, uh, we're involved right now on a, uh, on a mega project and uh, I'll just order magnitude, okay. you guys. It's uh, $1 billion just for round numbers. Uh, wow. may not be exactly okay. one billion but it's a billion yeah. dollars so it's it's almost real money so to speak uh, let's let's <laughs> let, let's just say for discussion purposes uh we'll just use uh uh two percent 
should of the construction budget should be allocated for a uh, a complete sue investigation and we can talk about what a complete sue investigation is is a little bit a little bit later so let's let's say uh, let's take two percent of uh, of one billion dollars okay well that's a big number that's that's 20 million dollars you say 20 million dollars well just to order a magnitude you guys uh, what, what's what's twenty million dollars on a on a billion dollar project? Uh, I'll call it chump change. Okay, no, it's not chump change, but it's it's a small amount. But yeah, because yeah, that that money is well spent on the front end of the project, versus when the contractor gets out in the field and guess what? All of a sudden, now there's issues, there's problems, there's, there's finger pointing, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, quote unquote unforeseen conditions. Yes, yes, but but had you done a complete sue investigation at, at the beginning, well, guess what? Uh, those unknown unknowns uh, yeah. might have been uh, exponentially reduced. When, when you are and, right. and by the way, the project. The project uh, say, Stephen, say when, again. When do you think is the point in the project where? Um, where we need to start looking at the subsurface. Like what, what's the point, like what's, what's the, the process that we eventually uh, stage by stage start to invest more and more in subsurface utility engineering? Like how, how does that look like? And specifically from a project I, I, I manager's perspective. I want to say, I, 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 like, I, like, I, yeah, I, I like IDOT's approach to it. They're, they're doing it in uh, preliminary, uh, uh, engineering meaning that it's it's up front they're uh, they're doing it as as quickly as soon as possible even prior to uh, getting into the actual design uh, the final engineering uh, documents you guys so uh, are they putting into the feasibility study there then? you go exactly and phase using, one using feasibility using, right yep. Yeah. yep so using it as a trigger mechanism is this project actually feasible um not only that, it has has to do more more with cost, meaning <laughs> there's all kinds of cost involved here. There's right away acquisition, uh, talking about structures, uh, yeah. or right away takes a utility relocations, uh, all those costs associated. So uh, it helps uh, I not become uh, more in tune with with the total project cost. So I digress. Sorry, when David. Uh... When David interjected there, you were talking about this mega project and the cost was $1 billion of real yes. dollars. So please yeah. continue. Uh, I, I might, uh, just in conclusion there, I can honestly say that probably in all likelihood, less than $2 million was spent on the Sioux investigation. <laughs> so so where's that other $18 million which well, is allotted? Or well, is it, it never was. That, that's, what I'm, that, that's what I'm getting at, you guys. It, it was never uh, communicated uh, I see a lot of my uh, time spent on educating, uh, educating fellow consultants, uh, educating uh, project owners, uh, younger engineers on our staff uh, about about the value of uh, and the benefits of a complete Sioux investigation. No, that, that's very interesting. From your lessons learned from that project, and there were change orders on that's, that project. That's, a, that's what I'm getting at right been... now. Uh, the plans are now. Uh, yeah being uh, finalized and uh, as a design build uh, opportunity uh, for the contractor. So uh, it's, 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 nobody's out in the field uh, 
turning over dirt at this point in time, but they will be. Sure. So we can about imagine yeah. the, the issues, the problems they're going to have with, with utilities. Now, when that happens, do you actually write into your sewer report saying additional investigation required or recommended? Or like you just leave it open-ended? Uh, you know, our, our scope of work was was as, as directed by the consultant. So if the consultant wanted us to do uh, yeah. uh, designating, uh, we, would, we would do that. And likewise, uh, if they wanted us to do potholing, we would do that. So, yeah. So back to your question, uh, we did not do a complete Sue report, so to speak. It was more uh, plan information only. Because what I understand right now from the AC38, uh, the, the rewrite or the 22, which is coming out, AC3822, yeah. a Sue report is going to be part and parcel of part of that a part of that deferral process. And if you did not provide a Sue report, then it is not considered a Sue investigation. Right. But at the same time, our current contract, we yeah. quote chapter and verse. Uh, ASCE publication 38-02, which which would right. exempt us from that. But going forward in our new contracts, you're absolutely right. A, a, a complete a complete SUE report will have to be provided. No, that's very interesting. And would you actually comp uh, compile a list of the, of the items which you believe should be done as uh, value-add recommendations, saying maybe we should follow up here, here, and here, do a little bit more investigation here and here? Is that something which you as the engineer would advocate for? Or is that something which uh, let's uh, let's hope for the best? And well, what, what, what I would like to say is uh, when we get a, an RFQ request for qualifications or beyond that, we're actually want to submit an RFP request for proposal. I would say at that point in time, uh, get some discussion going with the owner on getting sewer language into the scope of work. Because if you don't have that specifically into the scope of work, then uh, yeah. it's, it's just not going to be done, you guys. So I, yeah. I would say- and Then it becomes the quote unquote, the broad utility investigation. There you go, there you go. <laughs> I, and I would like to see that language uh, in the scope of work. Why, why do you oh, think that happens? That uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't become part of the scope of work. Uh, what we're finding is uh, there are some clients, some owners that uh, that really get it. They they understand it. As, uh, so, I want to say uh, uh, it's it's a matter of uh, educating, uh, giving. Uh, you alluded to before lessons learned, meaning. Well, we had this project, it went really smoothly. Well, why did it go smoothly? Well, you know what? Everybody uh, did their due diligence on, on utilities and uh, we didn't have those obstructions. So I'm gonna ask you a question regarding uh, tendering and uh, procurement. Uh, I believe I saw something from the ACEC, uh, the American Council of uh, Engineering uh, Consultants, uh, the, about the Bradley Act and about the QBS quality-based selection versus uh, uh, lowest uh, you know, low bid and uh, first past the post uh, going down. What uh, what type of selection process are we looking at? Well, um, my career has been pretty much on the, on the QBS, uh, uh, qualification-based okay. uh, selection, oh, yeah. right? But uh, I'm also seeing, I'm also seeing that being challenged. Uh, in case in point, uh, you have to give two envelopes, okay? 
Yeah. Yeah. The technical and the price. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I, yeah. I call it a modified QBS. <laughs> and, and what choice do you have? Well, either either yeah. you uh, submit the, or you don't. That, that's your choices. Where they put ten percent on the uh, the technical envelope, and then ninety percent weight on the uh, the price envelope. There you go. There you go. It's all it's all yeah. a weighted average. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I, it's truly, Steve. Uh, I I, have, I really have to say I'm I'm really in awe of uh, the amount of care which you show to this industry and the amount uh, of uh, passion which you really want to convey to everyone. And uh, I'm very happy that. There are people like you who are participating in the groups like UESI, uh, the Utility Engineering Survey Institute, in which they're going to be opening up their initial Chicago chapter, their initial Illinois chapter. Uh, you know, people like Stephen really being involved in these things. Uh, I'm actually really involved in UESI as well. I'm I'm the Canadian liaison for the two uh, the. the ASC USI liaison for the two Canadian chapters. I was a co-founder of both the Canadian chapters, so really happy to see that you guys are really pushing ahead with this. And the fact that you take such care and mentorship and that you believe that is one of the key items to get us to that next point is really amazing. Thanks. How much? Yeah. Uh, my my yeah. pleasure. You know, giving due words and giving giving credit sure. words to you. Sure, sure. I'd really like to to see, and I'd really like to talk to you in a year from now, and really see, you know, ask you the the, the first question: Have things changed? Do you see any benefit from ASC thirty eight twenty two? Do you see any change going forward? Do you see any new technologies around the corner that are going to help you get there? Yeah. So really, it's a. Uh, I I got to give a shout out to uh, Jim uh, Onspach, and you guys know him yeah. uh, personally, uh, much yeah. like myself. He's <laughs> he's the grandfather yeah. of Sue here, and uh, I've taken his training class uh, years ago, and uh, I probably wouldn't be here without his uh, experience and uh, expertise. You guys, so he's a great great yeah, resource. He's heavily involved in both of those uh, new publications. Uh, well, the old publication, yeah, uh, thirty eight, and also the new one, thirty eight. Number seventy-five would be a Nashville one. Yeah, correct. No, that's it's absolutely amazing. So, David, do, do you have anything else you want to add, or just, uh, or I actually, Stephen, uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that. Are we, are, Steve, Steve? From your perspective, what, like, if you needed to give one piece of advice to the upcoming engineers in the industry, what would it be? Well, I had an old uh, engineer years ago. Uh, he would say, uh, uh, get out of the office and get into the field. So I, I would say that's the challenge for the younger engineers uh, because today's technology, and uh, I see this happening more and more, they're becoming uh, pigeonholed. And some of the younger mm -hmm. engineers might not understand what pigeonholed means. Uh, you can Google that. But uh, basically, it means you, you, you're being stuck in a particular slot, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, yeah. My, my, my career, I, I've been fortunate. I've been in the office. I've been in the field. I've been back and forth, forth and back. So uh, I want to say to the younger engineers, uh, that's your challenge is to uh, get out on the construction sites and actually uh, hold your plan in hand, so to speak. Experience but but now uh, we're in a... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 
Okay. No, that, that's uh, very interesting. Steve, one so last question. One of the things which I really liked oh, yeah. about uh, Sure. You ready? What, so one of the I things I was just about to say was you know, one of the things I really liked about leadership. Oh, I saw that. I heard that. <laughs> so one of the things I want to ask about leadership and really understanding, I believe also in the in the full mantra of from the tools to the leadership. Make sure that the people who are actually leading understand what they're doing through actually, you know, having that hands-on experience. And it's something also I saw in the military and also David that all the leaders actually started from where we were as a private, you know, going through basic training, same thing. I know that in the military, in different militaries around the world, you know, the officer is uh, of the blood or, you know, he, you know, having that, uh, that, the special program, but within, within our realm, the officer always started from the same place we were. He went through the same, uh, same training, same everything. And he came up, we'll call it coming up through the ranks. You know, he came up through the ranks. And I believe the same with engineering. If you come up through the ranks and you see the uh, uh, the threshold and you see the actual issues which people deal, deal with day to day, you'll actually take it into account with your decision making. And it will provide you a, a bigger and better bank of understanding of how things are going to be done going from A to B. Because it's always getting from point A to point B. How do I get from A to B? And what decisions do I make? So, you know, that was just my two cents and my, my quick commentary on it. But, you know, get out there, go see what it is, understand what it is, and uh, live it. Yeah. I, I see. I, once again, I'll go back to the challenge, you guys, because uh, we're now moving into a uh, 3D model. And, and that is our, our deliverables uh, to the client will wind up being a 3D model. When we, when we think of plans and specs, so to speak, hard copies, it'll be a 3D model. And that 3D model will be communicating with the contractor's equipment. Uh, it's called uh, AMG, Automated Machine Guidance. So now, how does how does a, a young engineer, so to speak now, uh, work with a 3D model? And he's... That, that engineer's worked on a specific part of that project, whether whether it was the drainage, or the erosion control, maintenance of traffic, he's worked specifically on that. So uh, how does he get to see his work uh, come to life, so to speak? Well, he's gonna have to get out in the field and uh, see, what, see what's going on. Well, the other thing with 3D models is it looks great, but how accurate is it? You know, you could, you could, yeah, let's fit this in here. Let's move this a little bit. Uh, up. Yeah. Let's move this that's, little bit that's, that's a whole, that's a whole other discussion, you guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I see there's a challenge and there's an opportunity at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, David. Sorry. Back to you, my friend. Okay. <laughs> I interjected it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that, David? uh, uh, first, first of all, Stephen, I'd like to, to thank you for being on, uh, on our podcast. Uh, it's been yes. very insightful, and I yeah. think our listeners have, uh, have learned a lot from uh, your four decades of, uh, of experience. Um, and I think to, uh, to continue what Ophir was saying before, that your work in the industry is very much admired. Uh, and I think that it's giving lots of value back from your experience. So I'd like to thank you for that. You're, 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 you're welcome, David. And, uh, I'm looking forward to a future, uh, podcast here because, uh, I didn't really get a chance to talk about, uh, 
the six constraints of each and every project that, Ooh, that we work so, on. So, so we'll, we'll say that. To, we'll have to br bring you back for another yes, episode. Yes, so we'll uh, yeah, bring me back for, for sure. a cameo yeah. appearance. Yes. <laughs> okay, no problem. Thank you so much. Steve. You're welcome. Safe, safe travels, you guys. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Yep.